Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Comedian Mark Maron is arguably the most influential podcaster in the world. He's been uploading two a week since 2009, well before it was fashionable. His podcast is called WTF, as in... All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fucksters, what the fuckadelics, what's happening? This is Mark Maron, this is WTF, welcome to the show. In 2010, he released an episode featuring his former best friend, comedy superstar Louis C.K. Their friendship became strained because of Mark's jealousy of Louis' success. Mark says that quite clearly himself. The conversation became known as the best podcast of all time, not least because of its last couple of minutes. Can I give you, and you don't, you don't have to put this in the podcast if you don't want to, but what I would say as far as trying to stay friends with somebody that you have a hard time thinking about what they're doing against what you're doing. Yeah is focus on them needing a friend. Yeah. It takes a good friend to stay with you in hard times. Yeah. It takes a good friend to stay with you in good times. Everybody needs support. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. So you're letting me down. If you see me doing something and you have a hard time coming to terms with it because you're feeling about your own life, what's really happening is you're letting me down as a friend. You're being a shitty friend by being jealous. Okay. So think about the other person. Just think about what they might need. But, not, but like in my I could have used you. I could have used you. I got divorced. I got a show canceled. You know, I had some tough times. I could have used a friend. But you didn't during those times but that you, were you, making those times that were making you jealous. I was struggling. I was having a hard time. But, but, but doing, doing the Louis show was really hard. But, but, trying but, to keep but, my family together was hard. But but the thing is, is that in our in, in the way our friendship always operated, it was not that I was kept up to date in the day to day things. It wasn't a day to day call that we had. But it seemed that most of the time, the thing that made our friendship so deep and so strong was that when we did talk, we made each other feel better. No, it's true. But you shut me out. You shut me out because you were having a hard time. Okay. And, well, I apologize again. Well, I apologize to you because I then I did it to you probably out of resentment. We, right, ignored so, your emails because you ignored my phone calls back when there was no right, email. We, well, can we get back on track or what? Yeah, I think we can. I love you, man. Let's just try to fucking yeah, same be here, better, better friends. Okay. This is the Nitty Gritty Committee. Stories about the guts and the glory of life. In this episode, I chat to Mark Marin on the eve of his Australian stand-up tour. I've been to Australia Three times. I did the Melbourne Fest once, and I did uh, the Comedy Store once. I guess it was probably 2011 or 12, maybe. Sure. 
I did uh, you know I did an hour of stand up and I did a, a live podcast with uh, with Fleety and uh, <laughs> and um, uh, I think Arge and uh, Steve J- or what's that guy's name Steve Hughes and uh, Dave Hughes. Dave Hughes. All right. Yeah. So yeah, and a few. I can't remember all, everybody who was on, but yeah, it was a. It was a. It was fun. Your love of stand up is. Um... Well, I'll call it a love. It's like um, it, it's it seems like the biggest thing in your life. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing stand up a long time, and a lot of different versions of me. You know, different sure. haircuts, different uh, different temperaments, different uh, yeah. levels of uh, anger and uh, and uh, and compassion. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've done it over half my life. And it's interesting to, you know, when the chips were down and things weren't going well and I start this podcast in my garage and I sort of, you know, get a new lease on, on life and who I am. And, you know, my comedy's just, you know, never been better. And now people have a pretty good sense of who I am. So it's, it's a very exciting time. Yeah. I've been doing stand-up for about 22 years or something, but I don't have the love for it that you have. I, uh, you know, I'm quite happily not doing stand-up at the moment. And I, I, I kind of... I wish I had the love that you have, you know? Well, it becomes a, something deeper than love, you know? There becomes a commitment to it that yeah, I never had a life outside of stand-up, really. You know, when I committed to stand-up, that was it. So, you know, one way or another, since 1988, I've been making a living, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes broke, uh, doing stand-up one way or the other. And it just... Uh, it, it, it never really struck me that I had much of a choice. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when things when things got ugly, when I started the podcast, I really didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And mm. it was sort of this weird, desperate Hail Mary pass. And, <laughs> and it really became something about something other than stand-up. The podcast became bigger than stand-up and something unto itself. But but fortunately, through the monologues on the podcast and, and through the popularity of the podcast, I've been able to sort of pull together an audience, which is really – that sort of makes a difference uh, as a stand-up, you know, if you spend 20 years, 25 years, and you can't sell tickets, it's hard not to be discouraged. But I still didn't know what to do with myself. There was no plan B. You know, you get to a certain age where, you know, things get bad, and you have that moment where you're like, "Well, fuck this. I could always." And there's really nothing comes up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and I guess the other thing that's changed is that there is an audience coming to see you now. That's very different in stand-up, isn't it? To getting up in, on a stage in front of people who don't know who you are, and you have to spend those initial minutes winning them over and and creating a space for yourself so that you can then go on and talk about what you want to talk about. Now you don't have to do that. Now you just say, you know, I read about the gig, the first gig you did after your President Obama um, podcast. And you said something like, you know, well, how was that? Or something like that. And like everyone in the room just knew, was with you in the moment, knew exactly what you meant, knew exactly what you were thinking about. And they were right there with you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I still, you know, you do all that time in so many years, you put your time in, in, in the sort of training of being an anonymous headliner or somebody with mm. a small following is, is pretty compelling. I mean, I, you know, I still do clubs and there's still, I'm still, uh, yeah, off the grid enough to where there are plenty of people. There's more people in the world that don't know me than do. Yeah, you know, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I, there's very, I have very few fans in China just because I'm just, you know, I'm just not popular there. But, but the the thing is, is that, you know, I still need to do that. I still go do comedy clubs, and you know, my draw and my popularity is, is, uh, it's 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 pretty great here. But you know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not the president. I'm not a, a household name necessarily. But the people that do know me uh, are very, 
they're, they know me really well. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's a, it's sort of interesting. It's not just about the stand-up. They, they know my life. You know, I do the podcast and, you know, they, you know, they'll come up after shows and, you know, ask me if I got that plumbing thing fixed or yeah. how my cat's doing or how to go with the doctor. I mean, it's a very intimate sort of relationship I have with these people. Yeah. And what drove you to that? One-sided. I mean... It's one-sided, <laughs> but it's intimate. I know. It's weird when you have a one-sided relationship with a lot of people, don't you think? And they start conversations. It always feels to me like they start conversations in the middle. Like, you know, they yeah, go, well, they launch right in with yeah. your cat. Yeah, I, well, I've learned how to deal with it. It'd be weirder <laughs> if I had a one-sided relationship with somebody in my actual life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about that uh, the period when you started the podcast, please? Where were you? You, yeah. you know, what was going on? Well, it was, uh, you know, I had uh, I was in the middle of a, a pretty gnarly second divorce. You know, I don't have any children, but she wanted to bankrupt me anyway. So I took a job at a at a radio outlet that I'd worked for before, and I'd been fired from twice. But there was a new CEO there who had an idea. Uh, we went in and pitched an idea, or a guy went in and pitched an idea that we do a streaming video show, and then reached out to me. And I said, look, if they can give me enough money to stop this woman from destroying me, then I'll do it. So I did it. And uh, we did a streaming video show that lasted about a year, and nobody watched it. And you know, they ran out of money, and they fired us. But they were, you know, not—they were polite enough to leave us in in our office for the month uh, to, to for the remainder of our contract, which was about a month. So we still had security cards, and we had a friend in the the night tech. So we started basically breaking into the radio studio at night and bringing guests up on the freight elevator to do the first dozen or so WTFs before it was exclusively an interview show there was many segments and it was sort of a different thing yeah so basically me and my producer who i'd worked with in radio uh since you know 2004 you know we made one commitment which was to you know put a new show up every monday and thursday and we didn't really know what that would be or how it would unfold but we 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 stayed true to that 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 consistency and over time i moved out here to la i was about to lose my house and i was pretty broke and and I just started, uh, you know, I bought some mics and I got the equipment necessary. And I think, you know, I, I just kind of fought the darkness and the depression because I wasn't selling tickets. My stand-up career was not great. and mm-hmm. It wasn't that, uh, you know, people didn't know me. It's just that, you know, regular people didn't know me. Mm. So I just started doing the podcast with no real plan other than to, you know, stay on the mic and, and engage and talk about what I needed to talk about. And I think that if you listen to the first hundred or so, it's really me you know, talking about my problems to celebrities. So it worked out, you know. <laughs> yeah, but that is, you know, that's credited with with how you get celebrities to talk back to you in a very vulnerable and open way. You know, people write a lot about that, about you, that it's your vulnerability and your openness that creates a space where, I don't know, maybe it'd feel a bit rude not to try and match it a little bit with vulnerability and openness. Do you think that's how it works? Yeah, I think that's I think that's what evolved. You know, I, I've always operated at that level of, you know, you know, too much information, sort of, you know, uh, vague boundaries and, and <laughs> you know, com- compulsive emotional neediness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've always sort of been that guy. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, over time I, I learned to have a little more finesse around having these conversations and feeling out where they can go and where someone will go or where I want to go and, you know, being respectful and listening properly and, you know, engaging in other people's lives in an empathetic way. I, I sort of reconnected with, hmm. you know, this part of me that, that, that I used to be more when I was a younger person. I really enjoyed being around, you know, interesting, charismatic people and talking to them hmm. when I was a, a kid and, 
you know, on through the beginning of when I did stand-up. You know, when you're starting out as a stand-up, you, you spend a lot of time walking around with a notebook with really not much to do and no real concept of how to live life properly. So I used to wander around New York, and I had a few places where I would stop and just talk to people, like a guitar store, a record store, a bookstore, a, a restaurant, where I just sort of make these rounds and just, you know, hang out with other dudes mm. and talking about life. And uh, I sort of reconnected with that. It really enabled me to move out of my cynicism and my bitterness and my depression about my lot in life and, and professionally and personally and, and kind of reconnect with my community and people who were creative people and had the same problems. And it was kind of a, you know, right alongside of the growth of the popularity of the podcast, there was a lot of emotional growth happening, which was, you know, something I didn't really I didn't know what was going to happen, and I didn't do it for money. I did it, you know, because I needed to keep doing something. And, you know, over time, everything evolved around it. And, you know, out of the show came a, a sort of sense of self and validation and self-esteem. I never had a television opportunity, a book opportunity, you know, more stand-up, uh, you know, opportunities and crowds coming. And then just the sort of opportunity to continue to, to do these conversations in my garage and not fuck with it you know mm. the way you talk about that stuff so openly for me personally is a is is very relatable as a comedian and having been in the industry for a long time it's so so much unspoken unsaid stuff that you say now i don't know if you were always able to speak openly about the jealousy the bitterness about the kind of the competitive nature of you start out with a group of people and you're all doing the same gigs and 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 in our case here in in Melbourne I think in Australia we're all sort of really supportive of each other initially but then one by one people start to get cherry picked and and start to and then just kind of flown to the moon and really suddenly and if you're left behind it's incredibly difficult to keep the purity of that initial creative energy and the love of of the whole environment did you find well, that? you know, it's a weird thing, uh, of course. And and you know, I I spent a lot of time sort of, you know, kind of barely repressing those feelings and 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 being quite an angry person, mm. and you know, an entitled person and a self pitying person. I mean, bitterness is really just amplified self pity. Mm. So you know, it's really hard to to move through the world like that and and try to you know keep all that stuff to yourself and still maintain relationships with people that seem to be doing fine. I mean, just someone doing okay in their life becomes a threat. And it, it, it takes a, a tremendous amount of humility to sort of, you know, show up for somebody uh, who may be your friend or, or somebody you started out with when they seem to be doing so much better than you. And the, the sad part about show business is that it's not a meritocracy. They're, they're, it's not really fair. Yeah. And, and you really can't plan or define or, or create on purpose, you know, what people will like. And when you try to do that, you sacrifice a part of yourself and it usually doesn't work. So there's a lot of wild cards, and there's a lot of insecurity, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, disappointment. And and it's a, uh, I don't think when we get into it, you know, we're all sort of starry-eyed and, and and infantile in our desires. And I think that you know that sort of weird infantile disposition of like, you know, I'm going to be a star, uh, you know, is 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 delusional. But it's also what you need to keep going. But at some point, which is where I was when I started the podcast, you know, it becomes pretty clear that, you know, you've crapped out and that you've hit a wall and that, you know, there's no one's going to save you. Show business isn't your parents mm -hmm. and, you know, bookers aren't your parents. And, you know, it's just like you're, you're, you're left at the sort of weird tail end of a dream. And it's really hard to reckon with that shit. But it's very real. 
and it's very specific. Uh, but I think everyone has those kind of disappointments and heartbreaks in life unless they live a completely sheltered and secure life that, you know, may be miserable, but they, you know, that's what they needed to get through life. And, you know, we rolled the dice with our lives and, you know, there, there's going to be repercussions if it doesn't work out. Also, people who are very well parented and have great self-esteem don't tend to be drawn to stand-up comedy for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and if they are, I want them out. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. This is the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life. Brought to you by the new Ford Everest with the Terrain Management System. It's the SUV that lets you outsmart out there. You had a very moving conversation about this sort of stuff with Louis C.K., I thought. He really, and it it was interesting because I'd just seen the Tignataro documentary and then I listened to your podcast. And uh, in the Tignataro documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a moment at a gig where they, everyone at the gig, Sarah Silverman's doing the gig, Zach Galifianakis is doing the this, the gig, and they all start to have a bit of a joke about Louis. It's just kind of a an in-joke about their incredibly famous and successful friend Louis, and he'll probably just blow in at the last minute and blah, blah, blah. And then when he was talking to you, it, it felt like he was sort of touching on the isolation of his success from the people that he came up with, that it can be, it, it can create a distance with people. And in fact, he said that when other people are jealous of him, it, he feels as though it's letting him down as a friend. Well, he said that about me specifically, yeah. and it, it is sort of a, it's a tricky business. I didn't really grow to appreciate that part of celebrity or fame until recently, because him and I are pretty close now again. And right. yeah, I think we're closer than we've ever been. And, he, you know, it does become a little tricky uh, for for guys, you know, at his level, to to find somebody they can actually talk to, and and it be okay, not be loaded or 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 unsafe. So you know, I've grown to be empathetic with that, and in, in in a very honest way. So we, you know, we're we're in touch pretty pretty often now because it is a lonely place, uh, and people do end up you know, chipping away. Comics are not the most emotionally stable crew. And, no. you know, God knows, you know, uh, jealousy and player hating and, and everything else. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, it definitely plays in, if not overtly, then covertly, and and uh, you know it's it's a, a pretty ugly bit of business, but um, but yeah, that's a fairly astute of you to to pick that up because that became sort of a a real thing that I had to learn to understand in our relationship. That you know it 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 does get a little a little uh, isolating uh, uh, to be at the level he's at, and and you know you sort of left to your to only be able to talk to other people that are at that level, whether you like them or not. Mm. You know, it's always a weird pairing you know when you see celebrities together and they seem mismatched at social events because well they really don't have that many other people to hang out with 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think I picked up on it because I have been so guilty of it myself. And certainly I had a friend who was a very good friend when we were young comics together. And then he became quite famous and mainstream quite quickly. And I found myself struggling to talk to him. And it was, you know, really difficult. And I was annoyed at myself that I couldn't just relax and relate to him the way I always had done. But, you know, his life was just really different. And I was, was isolating him, I think, from myself. Um, what sort of issues can you put because your thing? That's, that's, that's yeah. out of our own insecurity. How are you not going to do that? It's just like, yeah. you know, because it's very hard to get past the, the idea that, you know, their success is, is an indicator of your failure. Mm. Um, you, you know, it, it's a personal problem. It's not their problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, it, it's, it's hard not to feel that way. And, you know, and it's something that has to be sort of, reckoned with in yourself and you know you have to make those choices like in the conversation with louis you know i at some point made a choice a very conscious one that like i I just couldn't handle the type of resentment that i had and and it, it was easier for me not to talk to him because i can't not do it yes and and uh and that was a choice i made and it turned out to be you know uh hurtful uh and i understood that but i i really didn't know how else to move forward with it and and you know sort of uh you know we reconciled that yeah. And 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 we seem to do it genuinely because, you know, obviously I'm not as successful as Louis, but but I have my own success and I, I've created this little world that I that I'm earning a living in and I feel good about that. And you know, even though I'm not, you know, the biggest comic in the world, you know, I'm okay. And and that's and and I have no expectation of being the biggest comic in the world. And him and I are different, mm-hmm. but I'm okay. With uh, you know, at the level of success I'm at, and and at the at the that the, the fact that I'm earning a living, so that that has been taken out of the equation in our interaction, and we can now sort of you know engage with each other without that garbage of financial insecurity, professional insecurity, uh, professional jealousy. You know, my jealousy is what it is, but it's much more manageable. You know, you can be a little jealous; that's natural. But but to be you know debilitated by resentment is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Since you interviewed Barack Obama, the president came to your garage and you did what you normal, what you always do, but you just did it with the president. Um, that was a great, and, and again, that enabled him to open up in a very different way to the way he normally speaks, let alone with any kind of press outlet at all, media outlet. Um, it seems to me that that then exploded your profile again, that that was next level. Did that, does that change things? Well, um, yeah, there, I mean, it, it was an amazing, ridiculous, uh, uh, wonderful thing that happened. I, it, and you did a great yeah, job. I, I mean, the other, the other thing is, it's a thing that happened, but you made it great as well. Well, that was all I was really focused on. You, you know, like whether, you know, I, I just have to deal with the immediate situation. I don't, I don't really know. You know, I get a lot of beautiful emails from people that, that get a lot out of my show, you know, both, you know, emotionally and psychologically and entertainment-wise, and it's very, you know, humbling and beautiful to me. I never thought I would have that effect on people, and I, and I, and I, and I get that through emails. But in terms of, like, you know, what, what the podcast is out in the world or how big it is and everything else, I, I, don't, I don't really – I'm not writing that. You know, I don't, need, I, I don't do that ego thing where, yeah. you know, I'm just filling up every day. You know, like I'm, I'm good just to see that it's in iTunes. You know, in the top ten, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't need to know everything. I guess but I just wonder the, if it changes point, things. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that no matter who I'm interviewing, 
you know, I freak out. <laughs> and, you, you know, I don't really know how I'm going to enter the conversation. I don't know how it's going to go. I do a lot of pacing. I do a lot of, uh, you know, wringing of my hands and, and yelling at the sky. And so all that I wanted out of that interview was to connect in the way that I connect, to show up and do what I do. And I, I didn't know if he would enable me to do that. And, and I, you know, I had done political radio before. I know what it's like to talk to politicians. I know that, you know, there's very few things that they, they talk about that they haven't got a point of view on or a talking point or whatever. And I just knew that, I, you know, policy was not my concern and that, you know, I needed to show up for myself. And I, and I just wanted him to meet me, you know, halfway so I could have a real, you know, experience and engagement with him conversationally. And that's all I was thinking about. So for you to say that that, that happened is, is great. Uh, and, and, and I felt that it did happen. You know, I didn't wear a suit. I wore, I wore a regular shirt. I, you know, I, I tried to stay sort of in my own world before he came over, even with, you know, 15 Secret Service people, LAPD, <laughs> staffers. You know, all that was in my house was me and my producer, Brendan McDonald. And, you know, I was just playing guitar and I was, you know, pensive and, you know, trying to stay focused and in my body. And when he showed up, uh, you know, it really, it all paid off in, in, in that, you know, I just held, I held true to myself and, and, and he immediately put me at ease. And, and I think we had a very human and, and sweet conversation. Absolutely. And For we him... dealt with a lot of big, we, we oh, dealt yeah. with some big shit too. For him to talk about race at all, let alone so candidly, it was massive and and made international news as it should have. I mean, there is there is still so much. I just saw straight out of Compton the movie the other day. You know, I saw a preview and I thought it's incredible how relevant all of this stuff still is in terms of race in America, and to have the, the first black president who has not spoken a lot about it to speak on your show was massive. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing conversation, and I, I you know I, I I still can't believe that it happened. You know. I guess what I was asking before was sort of more about like um, how all of this has affected you personally. If we talk about the fact that Louis C.K.'s incredible fame and, and all of that has affected him and has had an isolating effect in some ways, has have things changed for you practically on a day-to-day basis in terms of your relationships and, and your life? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I try not to notice it. I know that in some cities, you know, people recognize me more. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, in the type of show that I do, you know, most of my fans are, are, are fairly, you know, respectful and grown-up people. And, you know, they approach me like they know me because they do to a certain degree. Uh, you know, so I, I, I do know that, that I'm, a, I'm a little more known, but it's, it's not always apparent. Uh, I think that, you know, it's become a little easier to book guests. I'm certainly not going to let anyone tell me they can't come to my house for an interview. <laughs> um, but do you like you yourself? Know. Do you like yourself anymore? Um, I, you know, I, 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 I have days where, where, where I feel proficient in, in what I'm doing. And, but, like, for me, it's really still about those conversations. I, I really get a lot out of them. You know, as they are, you know, without the podcast, just having people over and engaging, it gets me out of myself and I talk about, but I do feel, I I, I feel, um, like I said before that, you know, I feel like I've done something relevant and that I'm engaged in something that, that people get a lot out of and I get a lot out of and, you know, and, and it's, you know, completely within my control. So all of that stuff, yeah, it does make me, you know, it makes me proud yeah. and it makes me, you know, uh, feel like I've, I've worked hard and, and I've done something great. 
but you know, I still got you know food issues, and you know, and I'm still a little insecure here and there, and relationships are difficult for me. So you know, problems remain, but I don't think that a job or or success fixes those particular things. No, it's interesting you talk about your food issues. It's interesting to me because I do as well, and. But I think for a woman to talk about food issues is quite standard now, standard issue. For a man to talk about food issues is is interesting. Um, how much do you talk about it? What sort of feedback do you get about that? Well, you know, look, you know, you know, men, you, you know, embracing their limitations is tedious. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I know it's comforting, but, it, it, you know, after a certain point, it's like, you know, just you know, relax, will you? We get it. You're, you know, you're a big, strong man. But, you know, just, you know, you know you're still a human for fuck's sake. So, like, I, you know, like, I've sort of, I'm at peace with that a little more about, you know, being you know, sort of judged for, you, you know, uh, male behavior or male or feelings that yeah. may not be associated with the, the common man. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, there's a lot of people out there and I, yeah, I get, I get, do get feedback there. You know, food issues in men are, are rare, but they're real. I, I mean, we live in a very vain world right now and a, a very self-centered world. And I, and I think that you know, there's a real fine line between food issues and, you know, compulsive working out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that these things tend to come from the, the same place. And I think that, you know, some guy that's, you know, lean body fat and ripped and, and and you know has got you know six pack abs. I mean that's a that, that's a form of anorexia too. So I mean, you know, however I talk about it, I'm I, I'm okay being sort of a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like control is a is a is a thing with you. Self control. Um, you know, in the earlier days of your stand up, there was a lot of chatter about your being angry and being aggressive. And and now, as I'm listening to you, it feels like there's a lot of talk about controlling your negative emotions, your your stronger negative emotions? Do you feel like you've climbed on top of those or you're, you're trying to? Well, you know, it, it's sort of like trying to sort of track them as quickly as possible. You know, I spin out, mm-hmm. you know, still. And, you know, but I do try to act out of anger less, you know, certainly in my personal life and my relationships. And I try to figure out, you know, just ride them out. I think as also as a sober person, you know, if you're actively engaged in, in, in some sort of recovery, you know, which I have for 16 years, you know, you're sort of on to yourself. You know, there, it's a very, you know, kind of deliberate assessment of, of who you are and what your flaws look like and, and sort of where they come from. And, you know, I'm on top of that, but, it, you know, I'm not perfect. But, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, negative emotions, yeah, I, I, I try to, you know, be careful because, you know, I do have a fairly cutting tongue and I and I do have the ability to sort of zero in on on people's vulnerabilities and 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 I do that because you know I'm defensive and I'm you know fundamentally you know kind of vulnerable and emotionally distrusting so so you know part of the reason I think we do comedy is is to sort of protect ourselves I mean it's a very it's a very you know beautiful talent or 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 mm-hmm. gift to be able to to kind of disarm a situation or or defend yourself without being you know, too hostile and, you know, to, to sort of, you know, make sense of something comedically. But I think, you know, it's, uh, you know, at its deepest level, somewhat of a defense mechanism against, uh, you know, your own sadness, but also against, you know, perceived threats. So so I, I, I just try not to act out of anger as much as possible. Are you still self-destructive? You described yourself once as being wired to destroy yourself. Do you think that's... Well, I think that what I'm finding now is that, like, you know, I, I you know, because of what I come from, I, I'm not really... 
I'm wired to sort of, you know, kind of cycle through, you know, like it's like anything else. I, you know, I don't drink, I don't do drugs anymore. So my self-destruction is limited to eating badly or smoking cigars or drinking too much coffee or eating too many nicotine lozenges or <laughs> having sex with the wrong people. I mean, you, you know, in, in those things, you know, like I'm not a gambler, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not an overspender. There, there's certain, you know, things, but I always sort of pull back, you know, before it gets too bad. But that's sort of the cycle is get to a point where everything's going well, then do some shit that I hate myself about, <laughs> and then sort of, you know, you know, try to just sort of, you know, get back to normal from that. And that just cycles through. And I think that's sort of my comfort spiral. Yeah. So, you know, dealing with success or dealing with, you know, uh, you know I don't really know what I, I, you know, I like to do because so many of the things I do that I thought were making me happy were just for me to, you know, you know, get some relief. I don't know the difference between relief and happiness. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, I'll become grounded enough to actually go like, I'm finding some joy in life, not just like, phew, I feel better. You're you know, like, you know. You're so, so hard on yourself. Good. You're so hard on yourself. Maybe I think you're addicted to self-discipline. It sounds to me like you're, you know, you're working I, hard. I think discipline, <laughs> discipline's a, 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 a more noble word. I think <laughs> self-flagellation <laughs> You know, yeah. I think I may be addicted to beating the shit out of myself, but I, I don't know if that really functions as discipline after a certain point. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that, you know, that's sort of not the way you're supposed to handle children. So uh, and there's a reason for that, because they grow up hateful and aggressive. Yeah. So uh, so I'm that way towards myself sometimes. Yes, you nailed it. <laughs> you Are, are you going to podcast while you're in Australia? I'm not going to really have that much time. I might. I don't know. Mm. So you give yourself a break from your Monday-Thursday schedule? Or do you stockpile? No, no, no. I'll, 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 I, you know, either I'll put it in the can before. Or I can do the intros and stuff on the road. I yeah, figured right. out a way to do that. I'll travel with my equipment. I just don't know if I'll be interviewing anybody. If I have to do the show, you know, set up the show, I, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's who's the dream? Who's on the dream list? Is there a dream list of people you want in the garage? Sure, man. There's always people I want to talk to. You know, Lily Tomlin, Albert yeah. Brooks, uh, Lauren Michaels. Um, you know, David O. Russell. I, there's always people I, I want to talk to that I haven't talked to. Robin Williams, of course, in retrospect, everything Robin Williams did in the last couple of years seems more telling. Um, but certainly your conversation with him was, again, very different to the conversations he normally has with media people. How was that on the day? I know we're running out of time. I apologize. If we can just talk about this and then I'll let you let you be. Oh, uh Oh, it was an amazing day. You know, it was like, it was amazing. You know, you know I had met him a few times and he'd always, uh, you know, seemed very kind of sweet to me and, and shy in a way. And, you know, to have the opportunity to go to his house and then to just have that experience to sit with him one-on-one and to have him sort of be ready to go there and talk about the things we talked about and just to really kind of show up for that was, it was a pretty amazing day. It was a, an amazing, you know, hour or so that I got to spend with him, you know, because he, he was a very... You know, strangely accessible and and sweet and and shy guy, mm. uh, and and uh, you know I really think that came out in the podcast, and also you know a guy that battled with the, his own darkness and demons clearly, and and uh, you know it was a real honor to have that uh, experience, and I'm glad that I had it to to give back to the world in a way, you know. Yeah, totally. Because again, I think he's another person who must have been very isolated by the amount of adoration there was for him in everyone. Absolutely. What a weird one. Thank you so much for your time. Big fan. I I do this podcast in no small part because of you, because I love what you do and the way you do it. And I love talking to you. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye.
you can contact us at michellelaurie.com with guest suggestions and anything else you want us to know. Feel free to leave us a glowing review on iTunes, of course, if the mood takes you. My nitty-gritty teammates are Andy Zito on music, Tim Mountford and Kieran Simpson on technical support and general good vibes. From us to you, have a good one and thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.